Hey, somehow it, it's always hard to take that dive in. Welcome everybody to Never Stay Dead. We are indeed back. I am Damien and I'm here with my buddy. Rising from the dead. Hello, internet. It's Matthew Dergish. So is that your DJ voice or your wrestling voice? Uh, I'm going to say DJ because I don't know anything <laughs> about wrestling. I don't Actually, know a lot about it either, but I feel like they talk like that in wrestling. Right? I lie. I learned a little bit about wrestling for a uh, untold Spider-Man uh, talk. Uh, well, Spider-Man does have a lot of connections to wrestling, for better or ill. Seems like, well, when I look at the first issue or of The Amazing Spider-Man, first appearance, uh, Amazing Fantasy, first mm. appearance of Spider-Man, feels like wrestling may have been at kind of a low point at that time. It looks like a very low-rent world, <laughs> even lower rent than in my time. Well, in the issue I had to do a little bit of reading for, uh, that was a big part of the plot, though the time scale was adjusted, so I don't know how much of that played through. But um, Brian Azzarello did a really brilliant issue with Crusher Hogan that kind of leads up to that moment from Crusher's perspective, and it's huh. it's a good. But we're not here to talk about. Well, yes, we are here to talk about Jack Kirby's New Gods and to specifically focus on two of the issues from his 11 issue run back in 1970 through about 72. And that is issue number six called The Glory Boat and issue number seven called The Pact. And um, I, I, I specifically picked out those issues because I think they, for me, they might be the two best issues of Jack Kirby's Bronze Age output, um, in my personal opinion. But Matt can completely disagree with me. Okay, so before I say much of anything here, because yeah. I almost feel irresponsible coming to this podcast because I read these issues and then I read um and then I basically skimmed through this entire run. Right. And I request I well I suggested gently that you might just read these two issues by themselves and see how it went. Hanging and... me upside down <laughs> by my shoelaces over the toilet is gently suggesting. <laughs> the reason I say that is because I read my very first Jack Kirby comic, I believe, was number six, The Glory Boat. I read it when I was 10 years old. My mind was blown. So, of course, we're dealing with nostalgia problems here with me saying it's the greatest comic ever. And, um, and I was able to dive into it. And so I thought certainly <laughs> Matt could. Right. Well, why don't you take us through your childhood memory of the glory boat before I say a word? Okay. Because I feel that's the best way to start. So in the glory boat, we dive right in literally because it's all in the water um, with a giant <laughs> sea monster attacking a boat. I'm going to kind of go blow by blow because it's not too complicated. I think it might help in this case. Giant sea monster smashes through this boat, sailors flying everywhere. And then we're told that it's going around the ocean, smashing boat after boat after boat. And one of those boats is a yacht of a rich families. And so then we see floating on the ocean in just their little inflatable dinghy, three people from this yacht. And Orion, the lead new god guy, shooting up out of the water um, on his little air jet ski kind of device that he's got. I think they call him an astro flyer or something. Mm -hmm. 
And it soon develops that, it quickly develops that it's a father and his daughter and son. And the father is a successful industrialist who fought in World War II and is all about being macho. And the son is a pacifist, which, so this is kind of a cliched divide from the Vietnam era. So they're arguing all the way. And Orion isn't even paying that much attention to him, but them, he's more busy dealing with his big new gods issues. But he gives them a little ride to, to tag along with them and finds this strange structure out in the ocean with a what looks like a mummy standing on top. And he cuts away the mummy's dressings and it's Light Ray, another new god. Anyway, as it turns out, there's some kind of creature being grown by these people called the Deep Six, who are the bad guys, inside the structure that, that Orion, that uh, sorry, that Light Ray was trapped upon. And Light Ray uses some of his kind of new god's magic science to transform this evil creature into a machine of a living machine of sorts of good, which is going to evolve later in the story. So we basically learn that that these people have been caught in the middle of a conflict between these sort of universe-spanning new gods who are currently having their battle here on Earth. And some of them are ocean dwellers called the Deep Six. And so they come to have a big fight with Orion and Light Ray. And in the midst of it, uh, the pacifist, while his father feels cowardly, stands up to uh, one of the one of the deep six who kills him by turning his body to silver, it seems like. And um, when it seems like the deep six are going to win, the living machine that Light Ray created has come to fruition and bursts out of the structure and blows up <laughs> the deep six and their giant sea monster and kind of apocalyptic moment and light ray and orion flash away and they say that the young pacifist who died has now been sent to the source and the father is left tied to the mast floating in the water saying i'm alive left to live out my life wondering Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to me i felt as a kid and i still feel it as an adult reading this this sort of power of this of these huge events and then the smaller people whose lives get ruined or destroyed in the process and it it's both sort of cosmic and about war and the horrors of war and that that type of stuff and it's just visually stunning and you know the godzilla loving <laughs> person in me loves the kind of big monster stuff going on um, so yeah, so I am currently thinking of this as like the best comic from the Bronze Age. That's how all I right. do it. How about you? Not at all that way, I'm assuming. Well, I, I don't know. This was such a weird thing for me to try to take in because I'm, I you know, I, I'm familiar with the periphery of the new gods. You uh-huh. know, I, I've read enough DC, so I know a dark side. I know a granny goodness. Technically, I know a big Barda, but she doesn't show up in here. No, or she's not neither does uh, Mister Miracle, who I know is tied to all this fourth world stuff, but isn't in this new god stuff. Uh, he is in the next issue as a baby. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You know what I mean, though, right? right? Like he's not really. Well, well. Let me. Maybe I should have set all of this up. Jack Kirby left Marvel, moved to DC in 1970, mm-hmm. started working on Jimmy Olsen, where he began to introduce bits and pieces of this idea of the fourth world. And then after about five issues of Jimmy Olsen, bang, out came these three different comics 
New Gods, Mr. Miracle, and Forever People. And each was part of the bigger tapestry with New Gods being kind of the central book of this giant conflict between the good New Gods of New Genesis and the evil New Gods of Apocalypse working under Darkseid. And Earth was a partial focal point because Darkseid believes there's the anti-life equation contained in the brain of someone on Earth, and he thinks he can control the universe if he gets a hold of the anti-life equation. So the good new gods are coming to Earth to stop him from doing that, and all of his minions are busy sort of behind the scenes working on conquering Earth just to get that anti-life equation, not because they want to care about Earth in any other way. Right. And did you know those aspects of it i not coming in uh-huh. okay um i mean obviously reading through it you know right. getting chunks but again not all of it because like you said it's split across all this other stuff too but it's which not split in any linear way it's it's a tapestry where you can pick up the story from bits and pieces which is how probably 90 percent of the readers got things back then no right there was probably very few people who had the resources to find every issue of this <laughs> Unless right. maybe they lived in New York City or another really major city with a huge number of comic book places. Right. So, well, I guess before we go more general, focusing on this issue, like, yes. I'm just trying, I'm coming in here and I'm expecting, you know, new gods. In my mind, it's the celestial something, something we get here. And we're on a friggin' boat. Right. And there's this giant pink whale thing. <laughs> with a ram on its chin. <laughs> Right, and I'm going, what is going on? Um, And there's some people in danger, and they're being pulled by Orion on his flying doohickey. Right. And they're just on a raft, basically. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, what is going on? Because when I think New Gods... I'm trying to think like a number of things and to me like this being set in DC it almost pulls it back because I'm like in a world with Superman what's making Orion a god you know um he's pulling people on a raft he's not flying them around and saving them and other than in Jimmy Olsen you wouldn't know you're in the DC universe uh, in these books there's a few other nods and moments like there's a bit about inner gang with the uh, black racer but intergang came from this and then was adapted i believe into the oh, rest of well, the dc universe sorry uh <laughs> yeah i i know what i know i guess and maybe uh you could well be right but i uh in my mind intergang is very dc and i know them from the death and return of superman initially from my point of view so right so d- diving more into this issue these books were ground zero for a lot of ideas that have since been integrated into DC. Oh, sure. Right. I think it's possible. I'm not sure, but like the suicide slums, I think, came from one of these. Not from this one. Um, even the idea that Morgan Edge was evil might have come from this. OK. I have I have never sort of reread everything all at once. So it's I've read bits and pieces over the years, re- revisited or read for the first time bits and pieces that I'd never read before. Right. And so, I don't know. So I'm reading this and I kind of like get through the issue. I'm kind of trying to think like, man, Damien was really into this. I'm just trying to think of it more, but I'm just hung up on this whole gods thing. And I think about it like Greek tradition and whatnot, you know, the Iliad and all that, right? Like how much of that is just some people on a boat trying to pull through, but those aren't the gods. Those are the people interacting with the gods, but that's where we get the interaction from. So there's kind of this connection. It's a little offset, but these new gods aren't rooted in gods of old. They're just... Well, we get a... What we're getting here is a 
moment, a brief skirmish in a cosmic battle, which happens to take place in the ocean of Earth, and we get a few Earthlings who get to witness what's going on without fully understanding what's going on. And I right. thought that was kind of a brilliant way to do it. And, and if you're writing a large tapestry, you can't have everything focus on the huge final battle or whatever. The idea was that he was building a whole structure on which he could have lots and diff lots of different stories i think yeah i think you're right and so i i mean for me it was just where my head was at versus where this mm -hmm. was just right like... so this was nowhere nothing that you were expecting right and i'm saying that because for us to prepare for this you know i, I read this very recently and so i had all these expectations and they were completely dashed and that is not a bad thing right but for reading this issue in particular because you wanted me to read this and the next one independently so i read them and yeah. then i went through the whole thing with these again so this first time was just like this tonal whiplash for me but it like gave me this weird framing and the, the thing is is like there's so much going on here there's so much going on in this issue and i mean there's something to the whale there's some moby dick-esque quality i want to say um that brings out a truly melvillian quality in the uh uh, the normal humans uh, right. everything to... is raised up to a more biblical kind of level because of the giant whale and... right but they kind of recede for or at least the dad does recedes from it in a way and like it's too much there's a father-son dynamic and then the son is the one who sacrifices himself which right. actually sons being sacrificed is quite the theme of <laughs> new gods well i mean that fits right uh but the son in this case the son sacrifices himself the father doesn't sacrifice the son well i kind of forgot and it's very big in this issue in particular there's a lot of these like kind of tortured kirby faces mm -hmm. that is so very kirby and it's I almost like a visual equivalent of opera or something everything is turned up to 11 yeah it just looks like a mask is like crumpling off their face or something <laughs> it looks so bizarre um also i i just gotta say it and this plagued me throughout the entire read uh light ray yes looks like a dork <laughs> <laughs> well obviously tom king thought so too and uh, they really well, Tom King did not like Orion or Light Ray <laughs> in his Mr. Miracle. It'll be fun. We're planning to read Mr. Miracle sometimes. So it'll be fun that we have this stuff fairly fresh in our minds. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Um, but I, it's funny because it took me a while to warm up to Light Ray because that's one of the dumbest costume designs I've ever seen. Something about... As a kid, I thought it was very cool. I thought both their costumes were really cool as a kid. Yeah, I think it's just a primary white on any superhero looks bad. Huh. No, I thought it fit his kind of playful right. angel kind of character. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, it fits him. And uh, Orion is all in red because he's sort of rage and battle. And we don't yeah. we don't see it in this issue but in some previous issues we see that he's a monster underneath who's made to look like a hero by the mother bot well and what's hard for me is they're playing on the principles of the four humors but they only have two of them throughout and then some of the other characters that would fit the four humors are held in the new gods but they are only characters that kind of come in like metatron's clearly the more intellectual type what with right. the um, you and the four humors i never quite got that i remember it was from one of your spider-man podcast you were talking about that right uh yeah well or was it in one turtles. of our podcasts it's probably about one of ours when we were talking oh, okay. about the turtles yeah um i never thought about it that way but 
they definitely different characters represent different aspects. Although right. I think all of it's, to me, all of it's a metaphor of the evils of war, really, at the end of the day. So I view it more through that lens now i didn't as a kid well fair because you're just caught up in the super heroics and all this crazy plot going on and it's funny to me because i mean this is i mean correct me if i'm wrong but to me this kind of feels like jack kirby's kind of opus like it is it's his interrupted opus i would say okay i i don't know if i've ever told you my theory that basically um the Silver Age was created by comic book veterans who would find they all started when they were really young and now they were in mid- middle age and they applied within the framework they were already in kind of their best work. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, but also some of the people at DC like um, Joe Cooper and uh, Carmine Infantino and others. And then the Bronze Age was when all the fans of the Silver Age came to write and draw comics. And um so this, although this is like quintessential Bronze Age in the sense that people measure the Bronze Age by when Jack Kirby went, moved to D.C., it's like the call, it's the final culmination, really. I mean, Jack Kirby did more work afterwards, but I think it's the big culmination of his sort of finding his creative direction in late middle age. I think he was about 55 or so when, when he was doing these comics, bringing together all kinds of experience and just like shooting it out on the page. Right. And I guess, I don't know, now we think about comics as this like um, kind of small pit crew getting stuff done. But I mean, here, this is Jack Kirby with someone helping with inks but uh right he's the writer editor and artist penciler pencil artist which look all for your solo stuff i get but you should want someone else to do the editing you should but they he 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 was so sick of stan lee that was part of his agreement to be the editor and in fact he arranged after a while he arranged for the lettering to be done on the west coast where he lived so that no one at dc even saw these issues before they arrived all lettered and done that's crazy um but what I was kind but of saying... he was producing three a month, writing, drawing, and supposedly editing. Yeah, because uh, these issues are so dense. And it's funny because I, I feel like I've always had this thought that like if comic artists had their way, comics would be the super airy thing with a ton of splash pages. And they'd be very kind of visually focused at the sacrifice of everything else, right? right. Like artists kind of want to showcase some of their best stuff. But that's rarely the case. And like here we get something and it's very verbose very wordy there's so much in here and there's so much going on but it i it's almost i feel like it's sacrilegious to say but like there are moments here where i feel like the storytelling is not well done by the art in particular the last (laughs) few pages like yeah but like there's the big whale well it's not just you need the captions to know what happened but like the like i had to read them multiple times because i'm like wait so we're here and then this is like the same play like i thought we were in space all of a sudden because we're in the water then this um i forget how you described it but this weapon that takes out the uh pink whale um a glistening warhead the living the dead and the fiery trumpets of the source i don't he doesn't give the yeah that one picture looks like it could be in outer space but i understood they were kind of blasting out of that wooden frame that they were inside of yeah but there's no wood there's no there's no connective tissue of there should be a panel showing their thing hitting the the giant sea monster 
Right, like, and there isn't. well, and this is clearly somewhat just kind of, uh, like you were saying, he's turning out so much, like, it's weird, because this is clearly kind of a end-of-the-day kind of thing, because there's so much in so many panels across all of it. Then you get to the end here, and there are two full pages that are relatively lighter on text and content than everything else that don't connect well, these two big splash pages, and then we have kind of four panels to close it out. To me, that feels <laughs> like a minor complaint. I am so dazzled oh. by the art and by the um, sense of human drama and heightened mythological drama all going on at once. It is like a, a, a an overblown Greek tragedy of sorts with the father and son stuff. And I, I'm saying this less to pick at the comic itself. Uh-huh. I mean, that's part of it. But with what you're talking about with Kirby, and frankly, I mean, you've instilled in me, and I mean, it's just kind <laughs> of ever present for comic fans, this like reverence of Kirby. Right. But here well, there are moments where he was high in his own supply. He needed a freaking editor. He needed someone to say, man, dude yes but this one page to here you need something these don't connect maybe if he'd had a good editor but if he'd had a bad editor they probably would have just ruined all the greatness that's here like it's sort of to me and i fully respect you for not having the same opinion but to me there's there's so much greatness that if there's some sloppiness and little bits fudged around the edge it doesn't matter it was worth it to let kirby get unleashed here and 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 the fact that he can tell so much in one issue and he despite having this ginormous tapestry that he created he managed in each issue and i think he did it best in this issue personally he managed in each issue to tell a singular story that is part of the giant tapestry it does it does demand of the reader a lot of patience and a Mm -hmm. willingness to go with the flow and sort of say okay in the end the whole tapestry is going to work but no you're right but and i kind of have i can't help but having my 10 year old self who probably this i don't know this might have been like comic number five for me in my total comic book reading and it was unlike anything i'd ever read or seen or thought about (laughs) and it just exploded at me and and i still think it's i don't know and I, I don't want you to get the wrong impression here. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I'm putting this on here is because... I know you had expectations and... Well, no, 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 most but... people say, especially back then, people said Kirby can't write. He should have let Stan Lee do the dialogue on this book. Oh, God, no. <laughs> that's that's not where I'm going. I Look, this is such an amazing comic. And for me to nitpick something like that, like if I was nitpicking that about any given issue of Spider-Man and that was all I had... That's an amazing issue of Spider-Man. This is, these are great comics. These are classic. And this is Jack Kirby doing Jack Kirby, like you said. And was it worth it? Definitely. But I think it's kind of part of that too, is like, you know, this is Jack Kirby where you see maybe also a hint of like that Marvel office thing where some of what caused that tension was a battle of egos. And Jack, it's to point out, and this isn't a negative. Jack Kirby was a man and he had more than anyone he earned a right to have a bit of a friggin ego about what he did in comics jesus it's jack kirby but 
you know, I, I think just looking at now and being like, you know, th- that it would be good if he had, like you said, a quality or, or maybe even kind of a meek editor. Like I've heard a number of stories of this, of like um, Jordan D. White, uh, current X office editor. One of his first assignments was to story edit Claremont at the end of Claremont's run on X-Men. Uh-huh. That like, must have been hard. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, but I mean, imagine coming to that tech guy with that ego who reinvented the X and knows them on a level that you can't because he has notes in his head that he ditched or all that and you have to come and say like well on this page right so editing is a very tricky thing because editors can ruin things or they can make them way better um and so i i personally you know looking back on it now think i'm glad jack kirby didn't have an editor even though yes really he really needed an editor badly but what did the editors at dc do back then from all i've read they kind of belittled the writer and made them do rewrites until they'd basically written the story that the editor wanted himself Mm -hmm. so you know there's some of that timing too and i think you're right the way things have been handled more currently with from people i might have heard interviews from versus my understanding of the dc offices it would have been great if jack kirby would have said to some friend of his who was a good writer could you look over things with me but it also wasn't it was sort of like jack kirby had to be jack kirby because from everything i've read he just started drawing and then he would write the dialogue on the page after he drew the panel. And he just started from the beginning and went to the end. There was no script that he wrote in advance and everything. So it was his process. But these, this looking at, to me, looking at the whole New Gods thing, and, and one reason why I wouldn't want us to try and read all of it, and why I wanted to just focus on an issue or two, is because it gets sloppier and sloppier and sloppier and crazy, and there's lots of dumb bits and just sort well, of things Kirby was trying that didn't quite pan out. Um, but it's well, still this amazing thing, you know, for one man to have done during a two-year pe- two period over this oh, course of uh, five comic books. It's it, Well, it's an incredible achievement. And again, I'm not trying to bring it down. I was just trying to point out something but um there's so much in here and frankly i maybe it gets a little sloppier but i mean i there's stuff throughout and i don't feel like i picked up on all of it and there's just like every issue has a title that like has kind of a double meaning by the time you're done with the issue and there's so much so let's talk about number it's hard for me because we should say and i just want to talk about this real quick um damien through his generosity and beauty of soul gave me a uh, a full run of what's technically volume two of the new gods That's which what they is it's reprints plus one new story exactly um and so it's kind of hard for us because what he's talking about the issues by their original numbers but one through 11 is all i'm talking about at the moment i haven't really thought deeply about that last coda of a story well and we'll get there um but issue six is the back half of three the way i'm currently looking at it oh right because they what they did is they and they did dc did this a lot in reprints where they would reprint two issues together in a oversized comic in the 80s on baxter paper baxter paper that's what that white paper back then was called is it is that a higher grade then i assume it was a higher grade than the newsprint that most comics were printed on still at that time so it it meant this was a special thing like they reprinted some neil adams comics that way and there were some other things well this is about the paper that i want my comics printed on like it feels like Mm -hmm. paper it's not some weird glossy whatever yada yada but it's thick enough that it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere 
within my lifetime. These have uh, brand new at the time by Kirby wraparound covers. Um, so Kirby did new. You don't have quite the same feeling of reading a single issue, and of course you don't have the ads and stuff. Such. Oh, oh, I didn't even think about that. There are no ads in here. Shit, that's a <laughs> that's a boon. Um, okay, so let's and I, talk there's about... no letters page either. Oh. May or may not be. So then yeah, issue lot, seven. I don't read them <laughs> um, on the cover. It says a great mystery is explained in the greatest battle ever fought by the new gods and the the title um is the pact but i guess it doesn't say that on the cover where does it say that well so on the back cover here it says it came from the fiery jaws of the holocaust the pact and frankly i was kind of shocked to see that holocaust word in a kirby comic um yeah i mean there are there are parallels i guess and and kirby in case anyone out there doesn't know fought in world war ii he did fight out in the what should we call it the invasion of france where the retaking france from the germans and he was a scout who would go behind enemy lines um to try to figure things out and bring back reports and it's unclear what he how much action he actually saw, but apparently he got to kill Nazis and things like that and uh, uh, have some pretty horrible experiences. But we don't know exactly what those were. And unlike Hitler, he can draw. Right. <laughs> and he was Jewish. Yes. Um, which gives the whole talk about Holocaust and, and price of war and all of that uh, extra poignancy. Right. But if you're thinking of new gods and whatnot, this is probably the story you're thinking of. Um, right. This so, is the handing off of children between dark sided what's his name the all father the high father high or father. we learn in this issue his name is isaiah spelled differently than in the bible but <laughs> right so um, and and it again when i stumbled across this which i think was well after it was published but still it was kind of a shock to me because i had read some mr miracle and some new gods and i didn't know the the base foundation upon which this whole conflict lies and we are only told about this in uh, issue seven where he just drops drops the storyline and goes to the past and gives us a whole nother story of Isaiah and his wife. Uh, I've lost her name here for the moment. But uh, and his wife and Tigera, Tigra. No, Tigra is the wife of Darkseid. Oh right, right. Sorry, because I got confused because I remember Orion shouting for his mother and as with the story. Yes. Sorry, I got my wires crossed. So and it's fascinating to see Darkseid as just a Machiavellian prince who's manipulating people and he manipulates uh, the warrior Steppenwolf in a number of ways and he manipulates Isaiah too and to start a war, which in the end only benefits him and brings him to power on Apocalypse. And right. he makes a deal with uh, Metron. So what threw me off is I, I knew this coming into these comics right from prior reading but i'm in the middle of reading this story and it's not till we get to basically the end of it that i'm like oh this is where we are and this is what's happening now like it it's there's so much going on and that's something that really made these stand out in a way that made it kind of a delight is that there's so much going on and it's not like so many things now tv comics whatever where they're so focused on telling you the one story and not giving you any noise or any of this that it's just so focused on one story and this is trying to tell you the story but the meanwhile it's also doing 
all this world building and all this relationship building for an entire literal pantheon. A modern a modern comic would probably do this in 24 issues or something. Yeah, I I honestly don't think you took that number high enough for the <laughs> amount that's covered in here. And without exaggeration, like almost every page in here would have been an issue of something else. And, um, you know, when you don't know what's coming... It's just this, the structure of the story, I think, is even more kind of profound as it builds up. And by the end, it seems inevitable, but you didn't know that that's where you're going to end up. Right. Well, and what makes this so cool is um, to reach to issue one real quick. Yeah. It, it starts with um, an epilogue. That's how yes, it opens. That's very interesting because it's the epilogue actually of the Asgardian the gods. gods, gods, perhaps. Right, but it is a little ambiguous intentionally. The theory is if he stayed at Marvel, he would have made these the gods that came after Thor and Odin and stuff. Huh. And there is a mention in one of these, because I, I reread the first five along with these two, of Baldur, who was one of the Asgardian gods, the one who was killed by Loki that sets off Apocalypse, the Apocalypse, the uh, Ragnarok. Uh, that's interesting. So, so uh-huh. he says that... Um, that the people on the planet New Genesis are bits and pieces of the genetic flotsam of Baldur. <laughs> but then he doesn't say, oh, here it is on the first page of the pact. Um, the new gods were formless in image and aimless indeed. On each of their two new worlds, their races had sprung from a survivor of the old. The living atoms of Baldur gave nobility and strength to one. And the shadow planet was saturated with the cunning and evil, which was once a sorceress. So it's weird that he mentions Balder, but he doesn't mention who the evil sorceress was. <laughs> I, but yeah, like I said, so much going on, and, and it's all steeped in like these Kirby designs and. Right. The, just the amount of design work alone probably would have taken a normal artist a year to come up with all these designs. Well, and since we're just praising Kirby right now, the friggin' lettering man. Yeah, that was done by Mike Royer, his inker. Oh, was it? Yeah. So Mike Royer. Uh, he hired Mike Royer, who lived on the West Coast and could ink incredibly well and could do the lettering so that DC would not see the lettering before it was done. Okay, well, that's the one credit they don't actually say in the comics. So how how do you, is it just like interviews? I know that from other comics has? and from reading so many articles about Kirby. Okay. So a lot of us Kirby fans think that Mike Royer was the absolute best Kirby inker. And I I sure. met Mike Royer at a convention and I was so excited and I told him, you're the most important person here. And Neil Adams and Starenko were there and stuff. And he was like, oh, you what are you talking about? But I was so excited because he was the other part of the best Kirby work was, in my opinion, Mike Royer. Well, and I've pulled that move at a convention. I uh, I went up to Christopher Priest at a uh, one of the Denver cons and I was like, and he was just kind of off in the corner when I was like, what are you doing here? Like, where's the line? Like, you're such an important creator. Right. You did so much that's so impactful. Like, he said, well, thank you, but I don't think of myself. And I was like, <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. And look, I'm sorry, because the work that you've done is leagues. It, it's not just like good work. It, it meant so much to so many people. You are an incredible. Anyways, right. different time. But um. Actually, so in a way, I was very dishonest in saying number six was the greatest comic of the Bronze Age, because clearly the Pact is probably the best New Gods comic by far. And the real one to read without my uh-huh. goggles of nostalgia on all well, of that. Here's, 
and now I'm kind of curious about the rest of kind of the what's the kind of encompassing fourth world? Is that the way to just yeah, that's the way to encompass the whole thing, the fourth world. I don't know why it's called the fourth world, but because it's a compelling title and it's unique to this, it makes it separate from our world in a sense, right? So and separate from the DC world to a degree. Yeah, I I feel myself just sputtering about some of the rest of this, so I'm trying to think of if there's anything else in this issue. The last page really got me. Um, so the trade-off has happened, and Orion is meeting the High Father for the first time. Right. And, and he goes—he's like an eight or nine-year-old boy who's a savage with a knife. Yeah, and he goes to stab him. The High Father kind of catches it and kind of says, "Like you know, you can either go for it or you can take my hand, and we can step together." And it's a kind of kindness Orion's right. never encountered. Also, his eyebrows are. F- friggin crazy yes orion not uh the high father right, right orion's eyebrows go up to like his forehead it's impressive yeah. uh and i i don't know it's just this moment that's actually it's kind of funny because compared to everything else this becomes kind of a quieter poignant moment and this is the quieter moment in these stories yeah. is someone almost getting stabbed i uh <laughs> and i don't think he even holds orion's hand back i think he just speaks yeah he holds his hand hesitates. out and he holds his hand out right but he never blocks the the attempt to stab him right um, the the in- other interesting thing to me when i first read this is it suddenly revealed to me which i didn't pick up on when i read this the scattered mr miracle comics i read that really scott free mr miracle is the ultimate center of the new gods world because he's the one who suffered the most he's the one who was sacrificed to evil for the to create a temporary peace and it's the manipulation of him by dark side that ignites the war all over again the 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 other thing that I, I tend to forget with the modern version of dark side who is just shown as sort of this uber powerful guy is that kirby's dark side is most of all a manipulator he is mm-hmm. not he's usually just standing at the edge of things having manipulated what's going on he's not a um constantly shooting his omega beams at people and crushing heads kind of I, character yeah um he's closer to space kingpin than space satan right or a much more successful loki than loki is i, hmm. I see but loki's that. more playful and everything so it does that maybe doesn't fit as directly well loki's like trickster and mischievous and will kind of just screw with you to screw with you dark side is like plotting and manipulating and he will only lie if he needs to but he's much more likely to use kind of like a blunt truth or uh and he's also like a chess master he's like yeah got all the pieces and parts thought out years in advance of all the people he's manipulating i feel like manipulator is uh the better right wait yeah i they don't say what happened to his mom <laughs> that's one thing i would like like his mom is the queen of new genesis and is the ruler and his and she's his he's her favorite apparently and she's very happy with all his manipulations but then in the end they just say the war killed his mom and so now he's king but i felt i felt like that ought to be part of his plan you know the mom who had supported him he then manipulates her to die also well there's enough um you know patricide and other aside and all that that yeah you're right i feel like that would be something maybe that's a good story for them to go back and do and yes i guess that was the other maybe someone has because i have not read all of the attempts to go back to new gods yet i want to eventually but it's a bit overwhelming there was a long series by john byrne a long series by um 
Walter Simonson. Mm. There was also some other series, like uh, one that's supposedly quite good by Rachel Pollack. I don't know if you remember her from, she wrote The Doom Patrol for a while in the Vertigo days. Okay. Um, she came after Grant Morrison on Doom Patrol. Yeah, because I think the only time I attempted the New Gods other than this was in Final Crisis, there was The Death of the New Gods. and Right, by Jim Starlin, which I haven't read. Which, maybe I could go back to it now. I just remember at the time, Final Crisis was a trial by fire for me, because that was an introduction to most of the DC universe to me when they were effectively wrapping it up it was like one of the few times that dc is like we're not even going to attempt to try to appeal to new readers and i was the new reader coming in yeah uh but, so, so is when... there anything about this issue left that you want to talk about or are you ready to kind of just move on to new gods as a whole well i mean again what i like about this is the focus is on the personal tragedies and also the um the uh, political manipulations of Darkseid. But yet, at the same time, we get glimpses of this cosmic level battle where whole stars are turned into laser guns and planet size destroyers are flown into stars and, and all that stuff. And I just marvel at Kirby's ability to go from the big to the small and back and forth again and tie it all together. And my overall feeling when I read this, and to some extent issue six, but when I read this in issue six is, A, I wish Kirby had been able to maintain this level, which is probably superhuman. I mean, it was kind of like when I was reading the first five issues, they weren't as good as these issues, in my opinion. They were good, but they had a lot more clumsiness to them. It's like he was working his way up. And if he'd been allowed to keep going, it really... I mean, we're, we're sort of, even though it's all brilliant level stuff, it's kind of like we were watching a guy figure out things as he went along. And um, I, if I, only we could have seen him figure out, figure it out some more at the time when he was at sort of the peak of his powers here. Right. Well, they, they canceled the new gods and at that time, and, and they canceled the forever people and returned Jimmy Olsen to what he used to be. And then they told him to keep doing Mr. Miracle, but leave the fourth world out of it and just make it a superhero book about a super escape art. And that was very painful to watch. And then he went on to create Omac and Commandy and some other, uh, the Demon and some other characters that have become mainstays in the background of DC also. Right. Uh, so going back a little bit, I thought, um, I guess it would have been issue three, the Black Racer character and in introduction, all that was super compelling and such an interesting like like wrinkle in this whole new gods mess because there's this so the one part that's kind of it's odd the, going back it's now, the uh vietnam vet who's paralyzed in bed who yes when no one's watching gets turned into the black racer and goes off and claims souls basically when your time has come right so he's the new gods kind of death or reaper however you want to look at it but there's... i'm sure he had more plans for him eventually but i guess they never got around well it's a super crazy thing so he's a you know african-american guy and so it's kirby it's still the 70s so this character's kind of segregated so he gets kind of the black side of the street and that side right. of the story because all the other people and all the other interactions are white people right and it's only that you notice it because of the contrast though which means yeah. kirby was pushing forward and being more progressive he was so trying. i don't want to it feels odd now <laughs> well yeah and that's what i'm trying to say is like re recognizing the time and recognizing his pressing forward like this is a good thing 
Also, it felt like he was trying to somehow recapture the Silver Surfer by making this guy a guy who is the black racer and flies around on skis, which the skis to me really don't work. (laughs) It just looks odd. That's the thing I wanted to get to is like, this guy has the goofiest costume. Yes. (laughs) It's, It's blue. It's two tones of blue, red, and a big old yellow cape and gloves, and then skis and ski poles. But they're kirby pulls they have a little bit of that some kirby line on them Mm -hmm. and like rods at the end i guess or you know they have a little round whatever at the end but he's essentially yeah it's like he's the skiing version of the silver surfer but then he's the reaper guy it's such a weird and it fits the whole new gods thing so much because in my mind and if you had almost any writer trying to do something like this now the new gods would be so much about like the old gods and the transition and the circularity of no he's just trying to create a new pantheon with these new characters and tell stories with them and this is what he came up with here and he just dives into the story and it's so it's so i really wish i knew what he might have done with with the black racer he shows up i think he has a whole issue devoted to him and then he shows up maybe one other time he shows up a couple more times and he's but he's clearly supposed to be kind of this wrinkle where he's part of the new gods but he's not familiar interacting with him really yet right but they know who he like there was in one of the issues there's a a scene like a backup story where the black or maybe it was in the big middle of the story where the black racer is chasing light ray Mm -hmm. and light ray manages to escape death basically right so and they know who he is so he's part of the kind of fabric of their world kind of like a metron or however you say his name is neither good nor evil is not really on the side of the new gods or the side of the new genesis or the side of apocalypse Mm -hmm. he just exists He's a, a force of nature in a sense. He's the, the the force of science and knowledge without any caring for anything else. Yeah, but I thought he was more part of New Genesis, but could kind of go to Apocalypse. But I, well, my understanding he may have his origin more... in New Genesis, but he has no allegiance at all. Okay, yeah, because he doesn't have allegiance at all. Right. So, yeah, and that's the thing is all the characters are like, obviously you could draw parallels to other stuff, but they, they're their own characters. They're not just um, amalgam or um, echoes of another thing right yeah that's also kind of unique in comics where there's no batman analog there's no superman analog there's no one you know there's no analogs for previous things that have been done right except that they draw they the names are drawn from bits and pieces of different cultures mythologies like isaiah right i mean i guess you could argue that like you know the black racer is kind of a death god right but i mean what culture doesn't have some death god but i mean but but it's an original death god it's not drawn from some other comic book or even from a movie no it's i know a black vietnam vet on cosmic skis with a (laughs) yellow cape there's nothing like it and there hasn't been sense and the costume is pretty horrible (laughs) you know what i'd normally agree with you but it is so out there and it is so kirby that it it tickled me with yellow gloves just (laughs) right like he's not all black he's not yeah unfortunately here kirby fell into the bad thing of whenever you have a black hero he has black in his name um but anyway that was again of its era i yes but also how many death things have black in them as well and so like 
it it feels less that than it would normally would and yeah it probably was that and it's a 70s comic and so on and so forth but it didn't feel that way reading it now even to me right and cheesy as it was an issue that followed that where it features orion spelling his name as if it's the irish orion and he recruits the people he's saved from apocalypse to be part of his gang to Mm -hmm. take down intergang there's still this feeling of the clever uh machinations behind the scenes going on like dark side's fingers are everywhere you don't have to see dark side he he can recruit you know dumb mobsters in metropolis and he can have undersea creature you know he's just everywhere that feeling of um what's the right word not suspense but paranoia that dark side should be a creature of paranoia i just really liked that even though that issue was again on the cheesier side um, including dialogue where people say what their character is <laughs> right and then which there is a tradition of that in comics but it was particularly on that well i mean some of this i took as comics you know of its time and this was right. pushing a lot of boundaries already though i didn't realize this was so kind of in a bottle i thought this was going through more of a dc process than it did um what i find kind of funny too is like thinking of the whole gods thing like using regular joes if you will to kind of work out their battles here is literally like a street fight between gangs right it's really taking and putting it in the the moment of the day Right. But that gang, it turns out, is just like a little chess piece of of Dark Sides. Their real purpose is to hide some of Dark Sides' technology that he's using to hide his bigger behavior. Well, and just because it's effectively superhero comics, I'm going to also argue that it was kind of a way to write in some uh, punching and kicking and what was otherwise a more heady. Right. He's keeping, he's very, to me, very cleverly weaving in all the stuff that people were expecting from comics into this bigger story that he really wanted to tell. Right. But it's brilliant. And the fact that you say that he was just, he just kind of went page by page to me. He may have had an outline in his head that he didn't tell anybody. But his assistants who worked with him said he would just sit down, he would start drawing from one corner of the page and work his way to the bottom of the page and then move to the next page. That sounds more fantastic than this story, (laughs) frankly. I... (laughs) And I have this book that is uh, called Kirby uh, Pencils and Inks. So on one page, they they took photo stats at this point because he was living in California and they could lose art through the mail. They made they bought an incredibly expensive uh, Xerox machine at the time and made Xeroxes of of all his pages. So they they reproduced the Xerox of the page and then they show the inked version. And you can see that he just wrote everything in his own hand on the page. And then Mike Royer had to go over and make it look like comic book lettering so as far as i know as far as i understand he did not you know have an outline or anything like that although i think he did have to present things to dc when he started so somewhere out there is concept art and various things like that um that that you can find in these jack kirby collector magazines that i get didn't he go to the kubert school of uh comicking because that's just (laughs) not the way you're supposed to do it i don't think not the way you're supposed to do it little little joke there for your comic historians uh so 
in this volume two that we have, we get one big kind of extra comic. Right. And I did not reread this, reread that for this. So I only have the faintest memory of what it was like. It, it's interesting for me because it's one of the few issues that actually has like the fatal furies in there or some of the... The female furies. So it's, he's bringing in stuff from the other um, fourth world comic. Right. To me, which some of that was more familiar. And I don't know if you can tell, but his artwork has become less full and more stiff and he he was Mm -hmm. probably by then uh near the very end of his his drawing days uh, if not near the end of his life there is a notable difference but i mean it's still it's still pretty graphically the the harder part for me was and i feel like there's something about kirby and faces um there's some weird stuff with Darkseid's face in here, but uh, this is supposed to be a big thing between Orion and Darkseid, and it looks like there's an end. But then um, this leads into, and I didn't know these existed, apparently DC had a whole um, kind of graphic novel line. Right, then there's something called Hunger Dogs, which I have never read, I'm almost afraid to read it. But I ha- I own a copy. I Actually, I own multiple copies, I meant to send you a copy. Oh, well, I was going to say, I'd be fascinated to look through it at this point but um because it's effectively the final chapter of this whole thing which is so weird man like there's this whole arc and then they do this extra issue and then dc isn't happy with it because it doesn't have like a real definitive conclusion and then they do some weird graphic novel called the hunger dogs which is just the middle of this i mean there it's a graphic novel series so no one really ties the other whatever but it's just kind of in the middle of this and to my knowledge that's the last of kirby with the whole fourth world thing so i'm wondering if some of the other stuff uh plays in I'd be shocked if it wasn't, frankly. What do you mean some of the other stuff plays in? Mr. Miracle, Forever People. Yeah, yeah. I think at that point anyway, I mean, now in a sense, Mr. Miracle's more famous, but I, mm-hmm. maybe just because of Tom King. Um, well, but I think everyone back when they published The Hunger Dogs and that other thing that you're talking about, they assumed that New Gods was the central story, so he would finish it as a New Gods graphic novel, even though he'd probably bring in all the other characters too if he wanted. I am currently, if you hear flipping noises on the podcast, I'm flipping through. I have this, I have many versions of all of this. I have this DC omnibus of the entire fourth world, which includes the Hunger Dogs. And I'm just, I've been afraid to look at the Hunger Dogs. In a way, I want the new gods to, I want them to be the way Kirby would have done them in 1972. And so I'm afraid to see what, and I've read people say, you know, it, it wasn't the same. And, and I'm it sure seem. it isn't, but it's one of the those. The art is very different. And it looks like it was heavily. I, I looked and I saw enough credits over by to the know Inker, it By the Inker Bruce D. Berry. It looks, doesn't look as much in Kirby's style. Well, there's more than just that guy on it, I believe, for his art. And then there's, um. Oh, and Mike Royer was involved too. So Mike Royer was famously super faithful to Kirby's pencils. Um, but then it says Ink Reconstruction and Coloring by Greg Theakston. So that's weird. I wonder if it was something where the art got lost and then they had to reconstruct it. It's very odd. I have to research this more. 
We could do another podcast someday where we come back to these sequels to the New Gods if you want. Maybe someday. Um, one thing I will say with the publishing is this like double like you know thicker comic, but still a floppy, not even trades worth. Super comfortable to go through and made it kind of breezy. Whereas like having ever tried to crack an Animbus, I it never works for me. Like I need to be able you to kind of hold it, it up sitting on a table to read a omnibus, right? And that just doesn't uh, usually doesn't work, work for me. Yeah, I have some kind of sickness where I'm loving omnibuses, but I, I totally understand. I think the ideal form to read things in is the comic book form. Maybe I have a house Especially where you have that like library stand that you put a book down right. and just kind of be there. But uh, have like a a preacher's pedestal that you put it on, right? Before your congregation, the holy book of the new gods, part two, right. the new Genesis. Anyway, we can... well, I I really appreciate that you were able to help me re-delve into this and put up with my nostalgia for it and and see what was good in it. I I think this is. I mean, if you look at this stuff, then you can see. If we read Mr. Miracle by Tom King, where I thought that was both brilliant and incredibly frustrating in the way that I felt like it turned that it turned what Kirby was doing so on its head that it was made me a bit queasy. And yet I enjoyed it. But so that's for another podcast. Yeah. So that this has been a good or what did you have further thoughts on Oh no, I was just thinking, so this is technically your pick, so Yeah, so the next one can be your pick. You had mentioned okay. Mr. Miracle, but we don't have to read that right away if you have something else burning. I, I might want pocket. to breather. Um, right. but Mr. I'm trying Oh Mr. Miracle is a pretty dense, hard to talk about book. Would you be willing to do Tokyo Ghost next? Sure. All right. We will Tokyo the ghost. That's one you've already read or you were hoping to read? I've read it. I want to reread it. And uh, I I genuinely think you'll get something out of it. I don't think it's going to be your favorite comic, but... Um... I bought the first issue and read it and thought I'll wait for the trade and I bought the trade and then I didn't read it, which is kind of a common pattern for me. So this it's will two be trades. great to get me to, oh, I may have to buy a second trade. It's, I mean, with all your digital... Or I can, and, yeah, it's probably it's available probably... on Hoopla. Um, but you know, I loved the art. It's who's who's the writer? It's Rick Remender. Yeah, it's Remender and Sean Gordon Murphy. So it's a pretty uh, yeah. one big one-two punch for right. Remender. Remender, I kind of at some point I suddenly decided, okay, I just want to read Remender and trades. There's something about the way he writes that I don't like in single issue. No, I I hear you and I agree, but uh, he does. So I look forward to reading it. Also. Did you did you read it in single issues as it was coming out? Mm-hmm. So it might be interesting to see how you feel about it when you compare reading it month by month versus reading it all. Right, I'm kind of curious if it'll hold up as well for me, but I, there's enough there that I know it's going to be a it'll be a fun read and it'll be less dense than uh, this at least, but um, still good. Yeah, I mean, Remender is someone who always has lots of cool science fiction ideas. So in that distant way, there's a link between him and Kirby. There you go. So um, we will we will rise from the dead again next okay. episode.